following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Thanks so much for joining us uh, on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Glad to have you along for the ride. And, of course, it's always good to see my co-host again, Lou Costable. Thank you, And uh, we've been busy. Busy, busy, busy. The weather is warm. The cars are out. And uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about uh, on this show. One thing I wanted to touch base on real quickly, because it will tie into something that we're doing later in the show, Lou, is you had mentioned that uh, you had recently, uh, or your wife has recently acquired a new Lincoln uh, SUV crossover. Yes. And what, what exact model is that? And how is the experience so far with that vehicle? She has an MKC. And it's a smaller Lincoln. It's not a huge one. The reason why she wanted it, I can tell you, is first of all, it gives her a feeling of a little more class because I could have actually bought a Honda HRV 2019 that would have been for much more money. <laughs> for much more money. Well, yeah, it would have probably been four grand more. And this is a 2015. Mm hmm. And it had 24,000 miles on it and brand new tires. And I'm like, for 24,000 miles, she's driving a Lincoln. She feels good about it. She wouldn't feel as excited about a Honda. So, I, I can totally see her point. Yeah. So that was the, uh, uh, it's a good experience, white with uh, tan leather. So classy. She, yeah. So she's got a real nice classy feel, has all the bells and whistles, sunroof, um, you know, uh, all the, the, you know, here's the most important thing for for my wife is the interior cabin is lit up so when you you're not just i will say when you're not just driving a car because usually you're looking at the outside of Mm -hmm. the car when you're on the inside and the lights are lit on the inside of the car it actually gives you kind of a feeling it's an ambiance yeah it's an ambiance it gives you a feeling of the surroundings of the vehicle that is that is something that they're doing with a lot of the new cars these days because um I had personally never bought a brand new car until 2011 when I picked up my Fiat 500. And of course, that doesn't have a fancy interior in it. But then when I purchased my Mercedes and then I got the Porsche Cayenne, those are higher end cars. And at night, it's like the going along with what you said, when you've got the lights on and you're driving down the highway. And the interior has this like almost like mood lighting in it because there's like a little light that that shines from the mirror down on to illuminate the uh, gear shift lever. Mm-hmm. And you've got the subtle backlighting on the door panels mm-hmm. and you've got a little bit of footwell lighting as you're driving. It's really cool. And like yeah. you said, it gives you this feeling of being uh, in something special and, and just kind of a more of a homey uh, cocooned environment as you're yeah, driving you're, along. You're in a uh, encapsuled driving experience. And and not going as far as like what Ford has the uh, instrument panel lighting you can change into three thousand or three million different colors, but um, but that they are moving towards that. They're making these interiors uh, so much more inviting and everything. And it's it's a, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's definitely something that if you haven't experienced before. And I remember a friend of mine was even telling me when he bought his Jaguar, he got a 2013 XJL. He was saying, yeah, the car takes on this whole different personality at night because the way the interior is lit up. (laughs) Yeah. And just for the record, I'm a huge Honda fan, totally dependable. So... But I see your point. I mean, yeah. a Lincoln versus a Honda. Come on. Yeah, right. There's no comparison. No brainer. And one reason I wanted to bring it up, because later in this show, uh, we're going to be talking about something that uh, Lincoln is doing currently uh, with uh, some of their new cars. And it's kind of an interesting little uh, tidbit that you might not realize. So we're definitely going to 
talk about that. And um, obviously, uh, a lot of cars on the road these days uh, checked out a 49 Ford four-door on the road uh, the other day in black. That's just a classic car, and that's when they spelled F-O-R-D-O-R, I think, is their four-door, and then the two-door was the T-U-D-O-R, two-door. And then a lot of slammed, and I don't even know if this is, this might be showing my age, I don't know if slammed is is even a current term anymore with with the Asian imports, you know, when they lower them to ridiculously low heights and Mm -hmm. they they change the camber on the wheels. I don't know if they even use the term slammed anymore, but I've been seeing a ton of slammed Honda S2000s. And that is a car that is really, I think, bears watching in the used car market because people are realizing that Honda did not make the S2000 for very long and they're realizing it was a heck of a car the way it handled and the way it looked and their prices are reflecting that right now. And I think even in the future, it's going to be going up even more than where they are now. But that's some of the stuff I've seen on the road. And and Lou, when you came here, you know, we are broadcasting and podcasting from the uh, Car Guys Report warehouse. And when you uh, pulled into the uh, parking lot, uh, you pulled next to a Corvette and you said, is that yours? Yeah. (laughs) And it was. Yeah. And mine, not yours. But um, yeah, my big news is uh, I finally uh, bit the bullet and uh, bought my first Corvette. And uh, it's a 1992 C4, which was the uh, the, the Corvettes are, are labeled uh, C for Corvette and then one through what will be seven coming up the uh, series as when they did a total redesign of the car. And the C4 was introduced actually in 1984. Technically, there's no 1983 Corvette. That's the thing that, that people don't realize because the C4 kind of came out like right around that time, but technically there was no 1983 Vet. Mm. The C4 was produced from 1984 through 1996, considered pretty much the first modern Corvette because it utilizes the space frame uh, concept, which th- is what they also did with the Saturn. It was a, it's a rigid unibody space frame, and then they just attach uh, sheet molded plastic panels to that space frame. So the actual body that you're looking at on the car doesn't really uh, add any structural uh, integrity or rigidity. It's basically for looks. And uh, it's not fiberglass. It's sheet molded plastic. So that's why they sometimes refer to the Corvette as the plastic fantastic. But I've always been interested in VETS. And I like the C4 because two reasons, and you brought up one of those reasons when you were checking it out. One reason is the fact that it's just more angular than the C5s. The C5s, it kind of started radiusing all the corners, and it just looks more rounded. And the C4 just has still has angles on it. And I just like cars with angles and, and, and curves, but angles and, and lines instead of just everything being rounded. But then, Lou, you said you know, how much did you pay for this thing? And I told you, and you said, you got it at the bottom of the depreciation curve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, there's such great values in the used car market today that it's really difficult to decide to buy a new car because the, the depreciation is, comes down so fast on some of these cars that, that if you just take your time, you really find something you enjoy. And this Corvette's a great example of that. Well, exactly. That's one thing that we had talked about in a previous episode was, you know, the depreciation on, on luxury or supercar type vehicles. And the Corvette isn't necessarily considered a supercar in 1992. Nine, currently, the like the ZR1s and stuff, those are amazing cars and they're unbelievable values, even new. But the Corvette, it's a strictly a two-seat car. It's got, for some people, could have very high insurance uh, requirements. It rides hard. It's loud. It's just not the kind of car that, you know, 
your average person is really going to gravitate to. And they didn't make a lot of them. They only made in 94, uh, 92, I think they only made about 20,500 of them. So they're, they're not exactly rare, but there's enough of them out there. So it's not hard to find one. And that helps kind of keep the, the prices down too. And it's just, like you said, there's just a ton of car there for the value. This car in 1992, because I have a reproduction of the sticker, it had a total uh, sticker price with all the options because it has every option you could get in, in 92 on it, uh, $40,200 in 1992. And that equates to about $72,000 today. Mm-hmm. And you're picking up these cars for you know well under $10,000 these days on, mm-hmm. on the market. And, and my example, I was lucky enough to find a local car. It's super clean, and that's what I want. I want a car that hasn't been messed with, that's as clean as it can be for obviously you know, a price that I feel comfortable with. And we're going to be following my uh, experiences with this car. I mean, right now I've, I've driven it all probably about 40 miles since I bought it. So far, good. good so for far, 40 yeah, miles. yeah. Good yeah. for 40 miles. It's not overheating or anything like that. Um, you know, it's always that, that not exactly a honeymoon period, but the shakedown period of any used car that you sure. buy. You just never know how it's going to perform. You don't know if it's going to start every time you, you go to start it or whatever. But one good thing that, that, um, I noticed was the car had been parked for nine days um, and I picked it up last week to drive it home and I was wondering because it's got an aftermarket alarm on it which I'm going to definitely get disconnected because I don't trust those but I was wondering a is is that going to be draining the battery down and 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 no it it didn't drain the battery down I barely turned the ignition a car fired right up pulled it out from where it was parked and the uh, concrete slab underneath completely dry and I think if a car doesn't leak anything in nine days and a car that's 27 years old, that's a pretty good sign of yeah. <laughs> it being in good shape. So I have a complete opposite story of that. I stopped by a friend's house who has some late 50s, early 60s cars, and we pulled it out, and there was you know fluids all over mm-hmm. the floor. And I looked at him, and I said, it looks like it's leaking. He goes, Lou, if it's not leaking, it doesn't have fluids. Exactly, yeah, exactly, because that's, that's the exact thing that I said to somebody just yesterday. I was going to tell him about the car, and I, I told him the exact same story I did. And I said, unless there's no fluid left to leak out. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, you know, my 58 Impala leaks. So, you know, I think every... That, every fluids in it. Yeah, right? every, 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 every 50s car at least leaks a lot. But... Um, you know, that's the way it goes. But we will uh, definitely be uh, talking about that car periodically just to see how things go and, sure. and my experiences. And, and I'm looking forward to it. I got it at the right time of the year. Um, and it's just going to be, I think, an interesting car and a, an interesting experience for me. So we'll definitely keep you informed. Be sure to tell a friend about uh, what you're listening to, our podcast. It's called The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. It's available online. Just go to radiomisfits.com. You can follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter. You can also email us. We'd love to uh, get your thoughts and comments about what we're doing here. It's carguysreport at hotmail.com. I'm Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable, and we're so glad to uh, have you along as we sit here and just uh, talk about uh, cars on the Car Guys Report. Uh, there's a whole bunch of new lighting technology uh, that is coming out for automobiles. Um, again, I will periodically tend to um, talk about my experiences with my cars as they relate to some of the topics we talk about. When I picked up my, my Mercedes, I have a 2013 E-Class, and it's got 
somewhat adaptive headlights on it. They actually do what Tucker's did uh, back in the 40s. They actually turn with the steering wheel, which is pretty cool. Then they has automatic high beams, which are nothing new. I mean, GM had the Autronic Eye in the 50s that would automatically dim your high beams if you had them on. But these are a little more advanced because they're more computer controlled and different sensors. So if they see a car, they'll, they'll, it's really cool how they, they, they don't really switch on and off. They just kind of like go down like you're almost like if you're pulling a shade and then they'll go back up and and i would love to actually see how they work from the front of the car if you could actually watch that but what i'm leading up to is um adaptive headlights are something that are continuing to evolve we've seen led uh, headlights are pretty much the rage now either that or still the xenon bulbs but adaptive driving beam headlights also called called smart headlights are something that we may be seeing here in the future and basically it just kind of uh is an, a technology to help reduce glare from oncoming cars when you're driving because i tend to use my high beams a lot they said in this article that i found uh from consumer reports that 64 percent of drivers don't use their high beams on a regular basis and i'm certainly not in that category because anytime i'm on a road where it's dark out and there's no oncoming traffic that i'm in danger of blinding someone with I'll put on my high beams because I want to see where the hell I'm going mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and, right. and see if there's, you know, deer or raccoons or something running in front of me. Sure. I'm a big high beam user, but uh, the glare is the thing that we've all been past or, or had a car come toward us that with their high beams on and they're not dimming them. And, you know, you get kind of blinded and dazzled by that. So this whole adaptive beam headlight thing kind of uh, is designed to prevent that glare. And all they really do is uh, they have the headlamp assembly that's actually got a physical shutter inside that's computer controlled and it somehow senses the oncoming traffic and will alter the beam with these shutters to prevent glare from oncoming cars so we'll see how it goes of course it hasn't been approved by um the uh regulators in the u.s as of yet but the only other negative thing uh to this is it could add 3400 to 6600 dollars in cost <laughs> to a car with uh if you get adaptive headlines that's a lot of money that's yeah, a lot of money and i don't know if uh, people would be uh willing to shell out that much but we'll see what happens because you know we've been talking i remember years and years ago i think they were talking about like uh ultraviolet headlights or something like that this is like 30 years ago and i don't know whatever happened to that technology but then you know the xenons came out about uh 20 years ago and um just it'll be interesting to see where we all go as far as that is uh, concerned but uh another story that i know earlier on in the in the uh, evolution of our podcast i always talked about i i hate seeing cars that are either neglected or or damaged somehow but i'm fascinated too i've read a handful of books lou about um shipwrecks and when you read some of the uh statistics on how many ships worldwide there are at the bottom of the oceans i mean it's like just like thousands and thousands and thousands of shipwrecks and a lot of people uh have hobbies where they dive for uh, for these wrecks to not only just not to try to find treasure but just to see what's going on and just see the the environment of what things look like and back in 1977 there was a cargo ship uh, called um, the Blue Belt. It was a Saudi Arabian cargo carrier that was carrying 181 Toyotas. 
and it ran aground. And um, they used that site where the, they, they were never able to salvage it because it was just uh, the water was too deep or the topography wasn't correct as far as the um, uh, ability for them to get the ship up. But uh, people dive this wreck, and there's still these cars that you can see underneath the, the sea. They, they uh, vary in depth from 279 to 837 feet. Of course, no one's going to be diving down to 800 feet. But most of the cars, after 40 years, have pretty much just rusted away from the salt water. But it's eerie when you see, and I'll show you this picture here, eerie when you just see a, a dashboard and a steering wheel of a car that was brand new that got shipwrecked and has just been rotting on the bottom of the ocean for 40 years. Wow. It's scary. It really is. And, you know, we, it seems about once every two to three years we'll hear about a, uh, a cargo container ship that has, uh, you know, whether it's luxury imports. I think there was a ship a couple of years ago that had a bunch of Volvos on it that went down. They either fall off or they, they get in rough seas, and sometimes they get knocked, literally, literally get knocked off the ship or the ship goes down. And there's just, you know, 100, 200, 300 brand-new cars that are just going to a watery grave. And it's just kind of a, it's kind of a creepy but kind of a cool thing to, to, to ponder at the same time. But this one caught my eye because it's been 40 years, and uh, they're still down there. So if you're ever in the, uh, I think, uh, where did it say? It's the Red Sea. So if you're ever in the Red Sea, Lou, if you ever find yourself in the Red Sea on vacation, get that diving. Uh, you're taking my staff and parting exactly. the Red Sea and yeah. pulling out my Toyota. <laughs> And, of course, another thing we like to do here on a regular basis with uh, the Car Guys Report is talk about cars that have recently uh, either sold or gone up for sale on the various online sites. Hemmings is a go-to site that I'm on a lot, as well as Bring a Trailer, which is probably, I'd kind of like to call it one of the preeminent auction sites for for, uh, cars because they just get an amazing array of of sports cars, Porsches, bunch of really funky asian cars they get they get these weird like mitsubishi vans that that were japan domestic market only that people have imported and they they go up for auction but i always like to see what what has sold on the site and a couple of weeks ago there was a beautiful 1971 porsche 911 t sunroof coupe and this car looked pretty honest from what it from what i could tell it had seventy thousand miles on it it was red Nice, clean car from the looks of it, and it's a pretty rare model because it's a sunroof coupe. And the T, if I recall correctly, because I had um, done a little research on it, I think the T was something like a either like a light, a lighter weight model or something that was a little different than just the standard 911 in 71. But this one sold for 52000 uh, which I thought was a pretty good deal for the car. It's got the, the classic Fuchs alloys. It's just a classic clean car, and if you've been following what air-cooled Porsches are doing right now, uh, you'll know that they're just they're out of sight. So, fifty-two grand for a nine eleven seventy-one nine eleven T, I think, was a well-bought car uh, on Bring a Trailer. So, just wanted to uh, let everyone know about uh, about that. And if you like listening to this podcast it's the car guys report informed automotive make sure to check out some of the other great podcasts that are available on the radio misfits podcast network you can uh, tune in and listen to minutia men by day rick kempfer and dave stern are consumers of worthless information and each week they share their newest 
worthless information in the podcast minutia men it's only on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place check it all out at radiomisfits.com i'm mark vernon along with uh, lou costable you are listening to the uh, car guys report informed automotive and lou i know that you've got somewhat of an association with uh haggerty insurance you at least know the man the man behind the name You've met him, McKeel Haggerty, I believe is his name. Yeah, I've begged him to take take me with me to some of the events he's gone to. But, uh, yeah, he uh, he always has a uh, great event that's out in Scottsdale, a VIP, and I'm fortunate enough to be uh, I'm blessed to get out there once in a while and, and hang and talk with him. So uh, I would say we're definitely at the acquaintance level. He's not calling me on a regular basis, which, McKeel, you can if you'd like to, but um, but we're – or first connection on LinkedIn for what that's worth. Well, that's good. It always helps because Haggerty is, you know, obviously one of the premier uh, insurers of vintage and classic yeah. cars. And there was a, a poll that came out uh, a little while ago from Haggerty Insurance. I'm not sure how they collected this. I think it was from either their insurance that maybe filled out a, a form or maybe it was just kind of a popularity thing. But they came out with a poll. The best four-door sedans or some of the best four-door sedans that have been made in the past, you know, 50 years or whatever. And I picked out a couple of the ones that I thought were worthy of the title. Uh, 65 Corvair. Mm. Now, that's the bigger Corvair. But 65, you know, when they first came out of the, like, 60, 61, it was a, the Corvair was actually a fairly compact car, and it kind of got bigger as it went on. But it is a clean-looking car if you, if you look at, at what a 65 Corvair looks like. And it's just unique because it was, like, pff, the only air-cooled rear engine rear-wheel drive four-door sedan you could buy anywhere from america yes yeah okay but even in the day i don't, I don't know if there was any other i mean there was some renaults that were, oh, were rear engines yeah but four doors though yeah there weren't that many four door i mean maybe the 412 uh which was being the later 60s not 65 but yeah mm-hmm. very close but definitely the, the only one in the u.s this has always been a cool car the mercury remember the mercedes 190 their mm-hmm. first attempt at a, a compact car they uh, picked the 85 to 86 Mercedes 190 Cosworth edition, okay. which was one of the early. That's like right when 16 valve engines were like all the rage, too, with the four cylinder 16 valves and they had the Cosworth head on it. And that's a neat car. And it's I'm pretty sure it'd be pretty hard to find one of those in 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 perfect condition these days little wipers on the windshield yeah on, on, the, on the headlights on the headlights and and it that actually speaking of the wipers on that car if i recall correctly i think that had the just one giant uh wiper on the windshield too and it was uh somehow it had like a cam or a centric mechanism that would have it come out farther to, to clean and then it kind of like pull back in and like one fell swoop but that's a neat car a classic uh, tri-5 chevy which would be a 55 chevy bel-air four-door um actually i have a friend of mine we'll be talking about this on a future episode uh who just picked up a 55 uh two-door post bel-air and he's doing the full pro touring resto mod treatment to it so we'll okay. talk a little bit about that but a couple other uh cars on the haggerty insurance poll of four-door sedans a best of 72 mercedes 280 sel which is a classic that's one of their first uh, big s-class mercedes my favorite and it wasn't on the list of the of that series would be the 450 sel 6.9 which had that honking big 6.9 liter v8 and that was like the fat 
fastest, if I remember, because those cars came out in about 75, I think, 75 through like 77. And with the 6.9, I think that, that ranked that car as being the fastest at the time uh, production four-door around. And it was, I mean, if you look at the specs now, they're, they're not quite laughable, but it's like zero to 60 in like seven seconds. It's like, wow, but that's 40 whatever years ago. And that was a phenomenal performance back then. Yeah. Um, two more cars on the list uh, from Haggerty, a 61 through 67 Lincoln Continental Convertible, the big four-door with the suicide doors. Have you ever done one of those? On, yes. on Yeah, they're pretty neat. Then uh, another car that's close to lose heart would be the uh, 79 through 93 Jaguar XJ. And that's close to my heart, too, because he doesn't have a Lou. You don't have an XJ. You've got a XKR, right? XKR. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I've had, I've had an XJ 12. I had a 94. So this is actually the, the year after because they go, went up to 93 because 94 was the year when they started putting the rectangular headlights up front. And a lot of people hated that because the classic look on the XJ sedan was those beautiful four little headlights and kind of the way the hood would kind of come down and, and go over them. But, uh, it's a great car, um, performance, luxury, and prestige all wrapped up in one. So kind of an interesting poll from Haggerty to, uh, see what their, uh, what some of their, uh, friends and, and insureds think of the best four door sedans ever made. And at the top of the show, Lou, we were talking about your uh, wife's new Lincoln um, MKC crossover. And Lincoln, I don't know if this is something they've, they've done all along, but I came across an ad they had in the Wall Street Journal recently where they say, at Lincoln, we create warm, human, personally crafted experiences right down to the musical driver alert chimes in the new Aviator performed by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. We're equally, if not more, proud of who we honor here today. Each is a winner of our most prestigious awards, so they're giving some like kind of dealer awards. But I had no idea, and a little backstory too, is one reason this caught my eye is because my girlfriend is a professional musician, and she plays a lot of classical music. And when I saw this, I was like, wow, I got to tell her about that. And she, she found it really interesting. And, and the uh, uh, headline for this ad, there's no, um, well, there is actually, there is a picture of the, of the aviator at the top of the, on the bottom. It says, allow us to toot our own marimba, viola, and violin for a second. And then I'm like reading like, wow, the Detroit Symphony. And that is so cool because obviously, you know, uh, Ford's, Ford is, Ford and Lincoln, they're um, based in Detroit and they, they did like the hometown orchestra to make these, uh, uh, sounds for the, the driver alert and it kind of gets back to what we were talking about too with the um the uh, lighting inside the interior just like again just making the interior even more and more inviting for for drivers and passengers alike so on the heels of this ad that i found in the wall street journal i was actually with my girlfriend and um her uncle is also heavily into the classical music um um genre and he had a Dallas Symphony program from 1966-67 season, and Lincoln Continental had an ad in that uh, Dallas Symphony um, program advertising the new Lincoln Continental stereosonic tape system, and it says Bach, Beethoven, or Brubeck. And it has a picture of, obviously, the 1967 Lincoln Continental. This one is, it looks like it's the four-door uh, hardtop. And they show a picture. And, and, and I was originally looking at the picture, and it didn't look like it was an 8-track because it looked a little smaller. But then I did more research, and it definitely is an 8-track. So it was one of the first 
uh, vehicles to offer a factory eight track cassette or eight track tape player in the vehicle. It sold for $84.70 as an option back in 66, which would be $423 today. And that also included an AM radio, no FM, and a power antenna. And that cost a total of $244. So the whole package would have been $1,220 in today's dollars, which is astronomical because obviously, you know, radios are standard in every car these days. But um, I just found it interesting that, you know, 50 years ago, they're promoting music in a symphony program. uh, And then... 50 years later, they're talking about the Detroit Symphony making music for their car again. So it just I just thought it was just a fascinating um, uh, tie-in. And I was, just, I was just enamored by that. And I actually did a little research, too. Um, I believe the Ford Mustang was the first car that had the uh, 8-track as an available option. Um, and it was, it was like a year before uh, this ad came out in 66 for the Lincoln Continental. But Ford was definitely, has always seemed to be kind of on the cutting edge, at least back then, for getting uh, musical entertainment and such uh, inside your uh, vehicle. But um, as we move on here with the Car Guys Report, you know, you are listening to the Car Guys Report on the Radio Misfits podcast network and if you like what you hear you can uh, listen and subscribe to uh, us on whatever platform that uh, you're uh, listening to us on whether it's itunes spotify iheart google play stitcher and tune in just search for radio misfits and then uh, or you can just search for car guys report it'll come up and if you like what you hear you can subscribe and when you do that you will get a push notification every time new content from the car guys report is posted on those networks and it's an automatic thing and it makes it easy for you and for us to uh, keep you informed of what we're doing here on the car guys report of course well one of my uh favorite parts of our uh podcast here is uh the time which is now when we talk to lou about what is coming up on his uh, youtube channel called my car story with lou it's been a couple of weeks since we've gotten together and uh, i'm sure that you've been uh camcorder in hand extra battery in your belt and uh what have you been uh uh taping and uh looking at i like to mix it up so we uh we'll start with a 98 buick riviera white diamond paint metallic and that car has such a unique look because it was some people called it the white whale because it was so rounded in the front and rounded in the back. That's that, a cool uh, car. I like that. Yeah, it had a very unique look in 98 like nothing else. Uh, then going a little more uh, old school, we just had a classic 63 split window Corvette that just looks like it's brand new out of the factory. So that's a treat. And um, somebody called me up and they said, Lou, let me know what you think of my car. So they sent me a picture. And it was an 86 Mercury Capri RS with T-tops, which was the last year for the Capri badging name. And uh, he kept it in really great shape. So we videoed that. And then probably one of the showstoppers on the channel was a 1961 Imperial Crown convertible. Mm. And uh, the headlights on the car are called the floating headlights. They kind of stand off mm-hmm. the car. And I thought the tail was amazing because it's not only a massive fin, and fins are always fun, mm-hmm. but it had this tail light that actually has an attachment where the tail light is a separate unit hanging from the fin, so it looks like a lamp 
hanging mm-hmm. off your lantern, yep. uh, lantern hanging off your garage door or something. Really cool. Another thing, too, that a lot of people might not realize is Imperial was actually its own mark from the Chrysler Corporation. It was the top of the line. They actually made the Imperial its own um, mark. Its own brand. To, yeah, brand. Mark brand to compete with uh, Lincoln or Continental at the time, and then also to compete with Cadillac. And um, it makes it a little hard when you're searching for those used because people sometimes list them as Chrysler Imperials or Imperials, and you have to look at like three different listings. Because I was interested in, in uh, mid-60s Imperials for a while. They made one. Uh, I, I kind of like the, 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 mid, the, the ones out of the mid-60s, so they're a little more angular than, than the, the one that you were just talking about. The, the, the two-door hardtop, and they made a, an option package, and it was something called... Um, it was like the, uh, it was something about the like LeBaron? the, no, no, I, I'll have to look it up again. But what it was is it was for, it was specifically designed for like a, a corporate CEO in the sixties, like Mad Men all the way. And what it had is the, the passenger front seat would actually rotate all the way around 180 degrees. So it would face the back and they had a pullout table with a gooseneck lamp and it was designed for literally the, the, the CEO sitting in the back seat to give dictation to his secretary riding in the turned around front seat. And you can find that they didn't sell that many of those options. It was like, maybe, I think they only made like five or 600 of them, but they're out there. And when you just see the, the way it works with the table and you find one that's got all that stuff, it's just the coolest thing because it's like they actually made this. And they also did some really cool stuff too. Imperial, um, some of the interiors they had were really funky. They actually had rural wood veneer. And then they had like little uh, doors that would cover over the radio to make a, a cleaner look on the dashboard. And then the seats were really cool too. They had one option or one color combination that was like black leather with like gold, like veining in it. And it's just a really funky look. And they just really did some cool stuff. So Imperials are neat cars. If you ever have a chance to check them out, definitely do so because. You just come to my car store. Yeah, exactly. Punch in my car story with Lou on YouTube and punch in the word Imperial. And, and you will see right all the Imperials that you want to see. <laughs> Coming up on the uh, next episode of the uh, Car Guys Report, we will talk about one of my favorite engines, the wild and wacky V4. Yes, you heard it right, the V4 engine. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also talk about uh, part one of the automotive bucket list. Uh, before it's too late, things to do if you are a car guy, just like me, Mark Vernon, and Lou Costable. Thanks so much for listening to the car guys report informed automotive special thanks to executive producer tony lasano with opishows.com opi is hippo backwards opishows.com it's distributed by ed silha on the radio misfits podcast network the proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Be sure to tune in to Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. Our podcast highlights the best soccer league in the world. The English Premier League. We recap the previous week's games. And preview the upcoming games. I do it from an American point of view. And I do it as an authentic Brit. Accent and all. That's authentic. Right, Governor? Not exactly how I say it. (laughs) We also talk about the local soccer scene because Adam is the Illinois Youth Director of Coaching. If you love soccer. Football. Football. Tune in to Free Kicks. New episodes drop weekly. On the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. (laughs) 
Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, what's your automotive bucket list? We'll talk about some of the things to do before it's too late. Plus the unusual but totally cool and very uncommon V4 engine. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.